So we're having our inaugural podcast right now in the new Fun Rebel podcast setup, courtesy of Chief Marketing Officer Daniel Briggs, who has spent a lot of time feverishly putting this together. Sweating bullets. Sweating and navigating and negotiating with our Chief Operating Officer over budget to put such a thing together. And I have to say, in the end, worked out pretty cozy, guys. So welcome, everybody. We're all here. It's not bad. Here to talk about today, tomorrow, and what comes after tomorrow. If Alan was here right now, he'd be walking around just looking at this room counting dollars. <laughs> How much did all these cameras cost? He knows. Much, what do you need that poll for? See, that's 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 the thing about transparency is I sent every single cost, receipt, Excel yeah. spreadsheet, highlighting of what's been bought, what hasn't been bought, where I cut things, where things got added. But you, you know. think that that somehow is going to prevent the level of, you know, the level, the level of scrutinization? No. Yes. No, in <laughs> fact, it hasn't. It's not going to. If anything, it would increase the scrutiny. In fact, transparency makes it harder. Yes, it yeah. does. <laughs> and you could point you, you see what I did over here? Look how much money you spent. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. It's a great situation. I think this is fantastic. I think that we need to start having as many people. You know, we need to get the phone line going here, Dan. Can we get a phone line going? Can we just get <laughs> a dial-in that we live stream on Instagram and say, dial-in, talk to us about shit? Yeah. We can do that, right? Well, we can get someone on the phone right now if you want. We can? Yeah. Ooh. Who do you want to call? Bill Clinton. <laughs> I don't have his number. Okay. I'm out of ideas. Should know. we just go through your phone and see what the craziest phone number is in your phone? Call I don't know. There's right? a lot of crazy fucking numbers in there, <laughs> man. There's a lot of numbers. People will be like, they'll answer and be like, why are you calling me? Who is, why? Why? Oh, oh wait, I'm recorded. I thought you don't were Don't ever dead. call me again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I guess uh, the big topic of today that we're talking about is is that Fun Rebel slowly, slowly, like a, a little stream making its way through a mountain, is gathering new participants, new users. We're getting our message out there, and we're focused on what is going to be, what we believe is going to be the most exciting lift uh, for the inaugural fund. And um, I think that over the next few weeks, that's going to provide us with an awful lot of insight that we're going to want to talk more about. We're going to be a little cagey about it right now. We're not really going to go into too many details because A, we're obviously very superstitious people because that is the number one key to being successful in business. You have to be extremely superstitious. you got to play your cards a little bit close sometimes. A little bit close sometimes. But uh, I think that if we are able to deliver on what we are currently undertaking, that is the first part of delivering on the promise that this entire company is supposed to be based on. Absolutely. Listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. All right. Anyone that is expecting something to happen right away and gets frustrated because they're not seeing everything that they want in the immediate, right, immediately right in front of them, that's just ridiculous. And that's also not real estate. It's, it's not real estate. That's not business. That's not how money works. We have to put in the time, put in the work, and listen, I'm sure that we're going to go back and watch this video or listen to this podcast a year or two years from now and be like, wow, look how far we've come. And if you actually look at it, you know, from if you judge the increases in, you know, communication that we're having with different people online and the investors that are coming in and putting money into funds on a daily basis from a percentage standpoint, even where we are right now from where we were 30 days ago is tremendous. Absolutely. And it's hard to, you know, see the forest for the trees sometimes, especially when you're trying to do something big and move big commercial weight. But um, 
that's part of this that's so exciting that we want everybody to be really excited about that the more people that believe they can be part of something and that that something is you know some big financial move some lever of financial mov- uh, movement which is what we're trying to really do here that is the thing that really inspires me at least to show up every day i don't know what inspires you guys to show up every day I think Steve shows up because he likes being a lawyer. I like all the toys. <laughs> Dan likes the cameras and shit. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun. But how do we bring people into that financial movement, Mark? How do we get people to look at the things that we're doing and get inspired and get excited? Because for us, when you do this for your whole career, you are excited about a big acquisition. You are excited about like construction starting or construction finishing or sales, you know, kicking off and so forth. But like, how do we how do we take that and bottle it and let everybody that is putting in a thousand bucks or whatever they're putting into this to be invested yes the financial returns we're going to bring everybody the financial returns that's what we are obligated to do and that is what motivates us and drives us to bring people financial returns but how do we get people more into our mindset how do we get people to understand that like real estate is not what you've seen on tv on property brothers it's not what you've seen on you know flip or flop i mean it is that's certainly one aspect and element of the business but how do we get people into our zone and the stuff that really move moves us and drives us i I, well if i can jump in i think the number one way is um just following you around for so many years on projects where you take pictures and you show videos and you know you constantly send me those even if i'm not in town and i think we can do that so you know right now our social platform we're we're just getting the word out there we're getting people to understand what our brand looks and tastes and feels like. But once we start getting into these properties and we start really doing some value add activities or we're solving managerial problems um, and we're documenting that like every day, they're going to, instead of, you know, seeing our, our content as it, as it comes right now, they're going to start checking in on our pages every single day because they know there's going to be some update. They saw something start. They saw some sort of value add improvement that started a day before. They want to see where it is today. And to see that progress, they really start to get an idea of how involved it is and how uh, much detail you have to really manage on a day-to-day basis. And they'll see the progression, just like what you said, you know, a year from now, we'll look back at this podcast and we'll say, wow, look at how far we come. We need to create that exact moment in the user's experience throughout the lifespan of each asset and then how it rolls up into the total fund. And then once we can get them to come along with us on the journey from fund one to fund two, then I think they'll be fully locked in. Yeah. I, I think that in general, trying to get in touch with these people in the first place, all that's going to be a big part of it. We leave that to you. Yeah. You know, and it is the hardest part. It's definitely the hardest part. You know, once they're already speaking to us and they're engaging with us, then we can let them know what's going on. And obviously it's going to be, you know, appealing to them. But I think there's a lot of different types of people that we have to speak to. It's not just one specific person. I think you have, you know, people that are out there that don't really know exactly what's going on or don't really understand the concept of commercial real estate investment. And the best way to do it is just participate, jump in, get in, get involved. You know, do the deals. You, you know what we should also do is later on when the time is right, put out a promo to our audience and allow them to engage with us in a way to where we can draw some names and actually pay for them to visit one of our properties, visit the, you know, say they're invested, say, hey, anyone who engages with us or enters in this contest, you know, if you have a chance to win, you'll get flown out to Florida or Texas or wherever we have a property, they'll meet us. We'll take, they'll have a firsthand tour of what's going on with the property. 
um, and give them a little bit of that taste of what it feels like to walk the projects, walk the properties, walk the assets, and really live the lifestyle that uh, a real estate developer, real estate owner uh, has to go through on a day-to-day basis. And so it becomes a very experiential uh, moment for them. And I think that is what really turns people into becoming lifelong promoters of our brand and, and our operation. It's like not only are we helping them preserve wealth or generate wealth or look at making money in a whole different way than, than they normally could um, when maybe they just go out and they earn a wage or they earn a paycheck through W-2. Now they can earn passive income through this participation, but then not only that, but they can really feel like an owner by meeting guys like us and walking through the project and walking through that sense of ownership that we hope that every fun rebel has. I, I think, yeah, that was well said in the sense of ownership and the passive income and the actual asset that they own that is providing that passive income structured through the securities that we're offering. I think it's it's a great way for anybody to invest. And, and talking about passive income, I actually heard somebody speak about this recently, and they were talking about how um, with the 401ks or IRAs, how you know you could basically invest through FunRebel that a lot of people don't realize that you could do that, that there are a lot of people out there that you know keep putting money in their 401ks or whatever it is, and without actually aggressively investing that money, especially for young people, Young people in their 20s, they should be aggressive as hell with their investments. And they're not being aggressive with their investments. They're letting their money sit there. And I think they were making something like 0.02% annually on their money. I had a, a brother-in-law of mine. So a couple of years ago, I was talking to him. I was trying to figure out. I said, you have a 401k, right? Are you maxing it out, all that? He's like, yeah. I said, what's it invested in? He said, I'll be honest, I don't even know. He was working at one of the big four uh, no accounting idea. firms. Hold on, you ready? It was in a money market. And nev- he never ultimately selected a fund for it to go into yeah. and it was just sitting there earning point zero something absolutely percent. should have That's picked it. an index fund yeah Pick any and then index we, fund, we, together we did and he sat down and all of a sudden in like a couple months he compound interest yeah, exactly way more than he had for the years before that you yep. don't know and what now, you're doing aside from just being in a regular index fund or one of these other things that they could pick which they should if you have money sitting in a 401k or ira you should be involved and understand where your money is being placed but now you can invest in real estate. How do you do that? Through real estate, through securities that are backed by real estate, like FunRebel, like what we're offering right now. And these can be used and purchased through your 401k or through your IRAs. And it's a tremendous way for people to diversify their portfolios or even put a large portion of it in because you're going to do a lot better here than you are just sitting in an account at making 0.02%. And, you know, these are also people you have to speak to. So you have to speak to young people that have jobs, that have, you know, money sitting in these accounts. You have older people that want to get involved in commercial real estate with their portfolio that don't really understand exactly how to get involved because they don't want to be involved with the actual management of it. You know, people that are retired, for example, that are also looking at their different retirement accounts and they want to diversify as well. Maybe they don't want to just buy a small house or something like that. They want to get involved in deals and in a portfolio of commercial real estate. And I think it's just a great vehicle for a lot of different people to be able to participate in. So hopefully people will jump in. And again, I think... You, you guys know as well as anybody, when we see something that we like and we see something that we think makes sense, we move forward. That's just the kind of people that we are. Not everybody's like that, which we understand. That's why we're trying to feed everyone a lot of information. But if there's one piece of advice that I can give anybody is that the moment that you realize that something makes sense, and if this makes sense to you, move forward. Go. Definitely. 100%. And that can be uh, said for a lot of different industries. It can be said for a lot of different investment types. Um, Real estate, I think you get a benefit that most other investments don't really provide, which is that because it's brick and mortar, 
even if it's a you know even if it's something as speculative as a development from a greenfield, you're still going to understand what that market, what the market value is. You're going to understand what market absorption is. They're easy to understand and <clears throat> pull out in terms of basic due diligence. Even if you're not a real estate investor professionally, there's basic information that you can pull that can really illustrate for you the picture of what you can expect to receive. Now, the risk profile is a little bit different, obviously, depending on what you're buying and what you're doing and what your plans are. But generally speaking, you have the ability to really sort of be in the mechanics of what that entire thing looks like much more transparently from an industry standpoint than you would from just a money manager or something else, you know, along those lines. Absolutely. If someone's investing in some index fund, those companies that that index fund are invested in, whatever it is, those people are handling the business, doing whatever they want with it. Here, the beautiful thing about your security is, okay, the real estate is being managed by people that are managing the real estate. Yep. We're choosing the, crea- the the right way to allocate their money into commercial real estate. But once it's already bought and operating, it's theirs. If they find a good opportunity or someone that wants to purchase these securities or these assets from them, they could do that. That's the whole point of the secondary market. And that whole idea that we found a way to make commercial real estate investment liquid and it's just something that i feel like i want to shout from the rooftops but the world doesn't work like that and we have to take time and really establish a listener base and you know let social media i guess work its magic but once everybody does hear about what is available to them there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be excited about it and they'll be lucky enough to be able to be involved especially as we start bringing projects online yeah the the moment we can really uh, blow the lid off of it's what right there. What We're right there. What we right got. There. Yeah, what we got in in mind right now. It's it's game changing. And it's and it's awesome. It's gorgeous. It's awesome. It's gorgeous. I'm, I'm looking at every other fund out there that's doing deals right now. Um, they're not buying these things. And that and that's really the the secret sauce is it's the access. It's we're providing access that even people in these industries in these funds would would just claw their way to. But we want to make sure that people who are far afield from real estate and finance, who are just out there uh, living their lives in completely different worlds, now having access to something that's super prized and just super sexy in a place that everyone is is really already kind of orientating themselves towards um, in terms of location. And, and, and it's going to be beautiful. I can't wait. And when you do look at some of these other funds that are out there in the market, I'm not going to start going and pointing any of them out. Naming names. <laughs> Naming names. But do Call your due diligence out. and realize that <laughs> Call the guys that are running go. these funds, they come from serious real estate families. And serious real estate holdings. money. The money's so already let me there. tell you something. When they find a deal that is unbelievable, it's not going into <laughs> the funds for everybody to participate in. The family's putting that in the family portfolio. For us and every single person that works at this company, this is the family. That's right. Everything that we have comes right here. That's right. It's all bootstrapped. And uh, we're actually going on a trip next week. We're going to be going down to South Florida. We're going to take a lot of footage about a lot of stuff. So by the time all that comes out, I think people will be able to hear a lot more and see a lot more about what's going on and who we are and what we do and what they're going to be able to be a part of. Well, that's a great thing is everything right now that's going to go out is very early stage, behind the scenes. You're really watching everything being crafted and made and everything coming together and gel in real time. Uh, and, and that's a special thing because Hussein and I talk about this all the time, but where we're going through right now, the exact phase, if you think about it, every single business that's ever really made any level of success has got, had to go through this year. Amazon, Apple, 
Intel, all the companies that we all aspire to, that we look at, that we consume every day. There was a once upon a time when they were asking the same questions to themselves. How do we how do we make noise in the market? How do we get attention ourselves? How do we gain market share? How do we package a product that people really want? How do we get to those people? And what price point do we sell it at? All these questions that we're asking ourselves, it's a, it's a rite of passage for any company that's worthy of the marketplace's dollars and attention and loyalty. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of companies out there that we respect now where you could see and you can have the documentation of the earliest and earliest moments. Yeah, you get a picture here and there of, of you know, one of those silly Windows release uh, conferences back in the mid-90s. You get some footage of, of Apple. You get some footage of, of maybe even Facebook and things like that. But the way that we're going about documenting our story and, and our, our um, putting together of this fund and, and the initial assets, that's all going to be there. Um, and it's all going to continue to be polished and streamlined and made more efficient and more captivating and engaging. And it's uh, it's an amazing thing. So it's, yeah, a, and, it's a good journey. And, you know, to that end, one of the things that some of this doesn't really cover, but we, we do have to sort of remind anybody that's listening out there is, is that to create a piece of SEC and FINRA approved market qualified. infrastructure. Qualified. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The general counsel is, is reminding me to say qualified <laughs> because it's true. Saying. It's qualified. It's not approved. It's a little bit different. It's like it Steve's here just to make sure we don't get in and, trouble. And I it think. is. Just anytime someone says approved, I say qualified. And it is. <laughs> and it is. It is different. It's a different thing. So, but to have the qualification and meet the compliance oversights that those organizations have and build any platform that operates underneath the aegis and oversight of those agencies, that is not a small thing. That cost us significant money, significant time, and we had to focus for more than a year just to be able to say the platform is in place to be able to intake any interested investor's capital. That in and of itself is not something that the average organization has the wherewithal or commitment or mindset or drive or motivation to even go and do. Now, does that in and of itself, you know, demand everybody trust blindly? Absolutely not. We would never ask anybody to trust blindly. We want to bring people into our world. We want people to be as excited about the things that we do. Yes, for the financial return that they are going to hopefully experience. And I say hopefully, and I'm sure general counsel will also appreciate the fact that I'm saying hopefully because Absolutely. all things are never guaranteed. Everything has risk. If there wasn't a risk, there wouldn't be a reward. But we like to buy things and we like to look at things that have a higher probability of granting reward than it does with risk. And that is something that, you know, in tandem with this infrastructure that we've created, that is a lot, you know, is a large statement to make, I think. Um, and now once we start filling that platform with the real assets, the hard assets, and the two things become one thing, that's really going to open the doors and, and, you, and, you know, and allow you, us to scale. When you look at all these different investment companies, and you're going to go look at all their C-suite executives or the founders, it's very easy to have some resume, especially when you've been in the business for a while, that'll look amazing. And people will go on there, oh, look at this guy, he seems extremely qualified, this is where I should be investing. And, you know, at least from Dan, we learned that the best resume that you can have is doing exactly what we're doing right now and letting people see who we are and get to know who we are. And if they like what they see and they like what they hear and they understand that, you know, we do know what we're doing, that's the best resume that you could ever put out there. For sure. And I think the entire premise of what we're doing right now is exactly that. We want you to know if you're interested in investing in this type of investment, which you should be if you're investing in general, this is who you're investing with. And it doesn't matter what resume you're going to read because they're all going to be good, especially if they're posted online. No one's going to post a bad one. And 
this is the best way, I think, uh, to get to know the people that are dealing with your money. Yeah. I, th- I think people invest um, when they have a level of trust and um, you gain trust by people feeling like they know you and feeling like they get a good sense of who you are and what you're trying to do. And, you know, we're, we're pretty upfront and clear about what we're trying to do. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the, like I said, there's not a lot of companies where the, the founding members and the management team are, are willing to, uh, you know, expose themselves and really bring people into the, to the sauce making. Yep. And we're going to go even further than that. Aside from just what we're doing in fun rebel, we're going to go into Miami. We're going to bring people over to see what, you know, our older company prior to Fun Rebel has been doing and what we put together. We want to show everybody what it is that we've been doing for years and years before this so they could understand exactly what we're going to be doing for everybody else. Instead of just, what have you done? A list of addresses. We're going to show you exactly what we did and what we do and what you should expect. Yeah. So um, we the other week, we actually went down to one of those properties and um, we shot 20, 30 minutes of just steady content. We did aerial. So... That footage and and that content is uh, currently being uh, worked on and edited, but that's going to be one of those things where we can put that on YouTube, we can put that on the website, and people can actually see firsthand, uh, you know, Mark and Alan and Hussein walk through a a recent success story, really. Yeah. Um, And you know what was the most powerful thing that I heard that I have to actually pull out of the audio one way or another, and whether have you guys you know re-record the audio with this quality over the video or just pull it out as it is is was it, that point you made about how rough that complex was um, about the crime and, and the level of just insecurity that the residents felt and even the local uh, authorities felt yeah. about that property and how powerful. And that to me, that was a real fun rebel moment because that's one of the giving back things that we want to eventually really plant our flag on is, mm-hmm. is showing how, through the act of value-add real estate, you can not only enrich the investors and the people around, but you actually enrich the community and you make the community uh, a much better, safer, cleaner place to live. Um, and it's, so it's, it really becomes a win-win situation. And I think community building, not in the sense of, hey, we're building a community of investors. Like, no, no, literally with real estate as a tool, we can go out and we can improve communities um, from that standpoint. And now, you know, it was my first time showing up at that complex. I didn't get a sense of any of that at all, you know, and I'm sure if I probably would have walked into that complex blindly years ago before you guys had gotten into there, I would probably have thought, you know, you kind of get those vibes, like maybe I have to watch myself, but it it felt like a pretty easy going place. When we got in there, there was high crime, there were shootings, there were so many arrests that were referenced to the addresses over there. I remember... We, we were just trying to figure out the right game plan to get everybody out because there's one thing telling the police, hey, there's a lot of crime going on. Can you please get everyone out of here? It's not that easy. They have to go, you know, there's a way that they can go and approach these things. So we literally went in there and there was a head honcho, I don't know, albeit drug dealer, whatever it is, any crime that was going on in that area, they were running it and we had to to get them and everybody and all of their constituents, so to speak, <laughs> completely <laughs> off of the property. And we did that in, you know, that was scary in itself. There was a lot of threats going back and forth, but thankfully we came to a common ground because in the end of the day, everybody likes money. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and basically <clears throat> I, I remember sitting there and normally when you buy one of these properties, you're going to start a lot of renovations and Hussein knows this code enforcement likes to show up, be like, make sure you're doing everything just right. 
code enforcement showed up at this property and said, thank you. We love that you're here. Hurry. You know, just please do, hurry. do, <laughs> please do everything, you know, properly, but just do it. And, you know, we're here to help you. So if there was ever an instance, for example, where, you know, someone didn't uh, file for the permit properly and we were in the middle of filing for it, instead of running over and doing a stop or work order on us, we would get phone calls from like the head of code enforcement. Hey, Mark, listen, we know this is like, just please try to get that paperwork in. Keep going. Keep moving forward. <laughs> then the police, the police were like, you know, we feel bad until we get everybody out. We have a lot of other tenants in there or people that want to live there. We want to make sure they feel safe. So we started paying for police patrols to be on the property. And I remember like the police department, I, I was saying to them, is this okay? Like, we would love to do that. Absolutely. Pay us. They sat over there. It was for the first six months. It was scary over there. But once we got everybody out and we started renovating everything, and now it's a beautiful community. You know, it's something interesting about that that people don't know, and that's just part of real estate development. I never knew that until about 10 years ago that you could hire cops oh, yeah. off duty to, you know, patrol and do. And in some cases, you even have to. A project that we built in Florida, um, we had to have what's called, uh, what's called MOT. And this was a term that I was also not familiar with until about seven, eight years ago. MOT, maintenance of traffic. And you have to pay the local police department for off-duty uniform police to sit and block a lane so that your work can be coordinated. And they make a ton of money doing oh, yeah. that. They all, they all, you know, you um, got charged. I think one seventy-five an hour. Yeah, I mean, they wow. subsidized subsidized the payroll by doing that pretty substantially. But you know, that's a, it's kind of a, an interesting thing, and it's kind of like a relief that you know what the police really can be there to you know that's the serve part of the protected serve. I think. Like, you know, if you need that extra assistance or you need to know that the community has your back when you're trying to do something. And look, obviously, not everybody that hears this is going to agree that value-add real estate is a net community improver. There is, of course, going to be those people that believe fundamentally no real estate investment or development or value-add into tired pieces of real estate means anything other than gentrification. But you want to know something you know? to that point? I'll, I'll tell you something that... I can't speak for everybody else, but how we operate. When we bought that property, the only people that we threw out were delinquent uh, tenants, people that were, had there were serious criminals that were living there, and they were living there under false pretenses. There were leases signed under people's names that didn't even exist. Didn't even exist. All right. Yeah. There was a. There were people that just hadn't paid for six or nine months or whatever it is. But if there was anyone there, and they were paying their rent, they had the ability to go out move and come back into an apartment fully renovated at the same exact price that they were paying with general market escalations. And what does that mean? That means that I went into a community or we went into a community. We took 192 apartments that were completely distressed and filled with crime, changed it over. And now there are 192 individuals or families that have apartments to live in that work better that are more energy efficient, that are cleaner, that are newer, and their quality of life went up tremendously. Absolutely. And, you know, if they weren't one of those people and they were delinquent and they were a criminal, all I could say is I'm not really out there to help you in the first place. That's not my business. You know, we're out there to make good for whoever it is that wants to make good for themselves. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes, you know, communities, neighborhoods, just generally, there was so much development that has occurred, especially in the United States, major cities in the last century, that stuff has just reached its natural service lifetime point. And there will never be enough participation 
to actually address all of that. You can't. You can't fix everything. There is so much that it just boggles the mind to even like really, if you really ever sat down and did an accounting, it would be like, okay, there's enough, there's enough work and the way that I view it, enough jobs to be created for another century just rehabbing the stuff that was built a century ago. And as cities know, one of the greatest job creators are real estate developers. Always. Construction and real estate developers. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why Florida's uh, so smart. They're giving all these uh, you know, tax incentives for everybody to go down there. And what do people do when they go down there? They buy. They build. Yep. They renovate. They expand. They create jobs. Yeah, they create jobs. They're moving their families. They're moving their businesses. and That's ultimately the biggest thing. And, you know, when you go into um, any kind of large large plan development, for example, and you go to make your filing to a city or your proposal to a city to say, hey, we're buying this property. We want to we reposition it or we want to develop it or we want to do this or we want to do that. The number one question that matters is how many jobs is it going to create? That's the number one thing that, any, that anybody in, in halls of government power cares about for good reason. You know, I mean, that's that's every reason is that. Um, By the way, hotels even more so creates people crazy love jobs because after the construction afterwards, the staffing in a hotel is exponentially yeah. larger than a staffing in a regular building. A hundred percent. You're not you're not staffing a residential rental building with the same level of staffing that you're staffing a hotel right. with. Well, they can probably derive a ton of other metrics just off of that one metric. Well, they the know. amount of income taxes that people pay yeah. when they're gainfully employed is tremendous, yeah. and that adds yeah. to the, the bottom line. Unless yeah. you live in Florida. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> exactly, that's true. but that's I still think there's metrics. No, there's definitely metrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other, I mean, the, met, the metrics people are... buying homes, buying homes, real estate exactly. taxes. Eating at restaurants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hanging around there. Consumer spending. That's it. <clears throat> what makes the world go round. Absolutely. It sure does. And real estate is such a fundamental and foundational part of all that really is but people don't make that connection most people believe real estate is i'm buying a house you know buying a house uh sure. i i know somebody i don't who, even consider that real estate i consider that i don't a home, either a home yeah a house yeah. You know? yeah i know anytime someone says um that is a lot of people will call multifamily residential and i i've never been able to look at multifamilies residential even though it's a bunch of residences so it always kind of throws me for a loop because i i interned for marks and Milchap for um, a year or two out of college, and it was just so ingrained in my head what the asset class types of commercial real estate was, and multifamily is one of those. And so anytime someone will say, like, oh, you know, it's an apartment, oh, it's a residential, I'm like, eh. residential to me is single-family home. And if you're going to do, like, tracks of single-family homes, that's residential real estate yeah. to me. Yep, multifamily. Even if you're buying a large group of single-family houses, it's multifamily because yeah. it's a large group of single-family yeah. houses. Yeah, true. Yeah. So... To that end, and, and because there is such crazy pressure, I mean, I, I don't I don't remember a time as long as I've been alive where there hasn't been a tremendous amount of pressure on availability of housing stock, and it doesn't seem that any administration, whether at the federal level or state level or municipal level, anywhere has actually successfully addressed the problem of not enough affordable housing for people. Does, well, they uh, did good at one point, and they threw it in the garbage. It was called the 421A tax abatement. Well, yes, but the 421A tax abatement was largely utilized, at least, you know, in New, in New York, largely utilized and catalyzed and spurred the development of free market condominium development. Free market condominium development is seldom mid range priced, you know, especially in especially in cities like like. But that's you can the whole idea of a free market. It is the whole idea of a free market. But what I'm referring to is is that even though we have a free market, we have various balances that are always required by society to keep society going forward. If we allow the chasm to grow so vast between you know wealth and poverty where there's nothing in the middle 
you wind up driving more people into poverty. You don't wind up driving more people into higher echelons of society. It has an opposite effect. So to create housing stock and deliver housing stock that can feed a middle market economy like the Delaware project that you guys successfully executed, because that is the community that's that, that that's servicing. There's not enough of, you know, true light and education shine shined on that. People look at that like, oh, it's opportunistic speculative development. You came, you did, you took, and you left. There's much more between the lines than just something as simple as that. But that is only one example. That's one singular example. You do have this tremendous amount of uh, people that don't have the ability to live in the places that people want to live, and you don't want to make the most desirable communities be solely the playgrounds of the rich and famous. That's really not fair in society either. But the middle ground is largely constrained by, as you put it correctly, the free market. So people own free market property, they have free market basis in free market property, and they want a business plan to attach to their free market property that's going to maximize the amount of their investment. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then you have government regulation and government restriction that disallows the ability to make some real headway into the problem. So now we live in the time where, you know, COVID has happened in our lifetime. Now we could have a whole discussion and debate and dialogue about COVID some other time. But one thing that I think that it did coming from working primarily at that time in the office market in Manhattan was shift everybody's perspective on working in an office. All of a sudden, everybody's health, yes, rightfully, is the biggest concern. Don't want to be around people, shouldn't be around people. CDC says you shouldn't be too close to people. Everybody stay at home, we're not going to the office. But then you go forward through time, and people don't want to go back to the office. People don't want to go back to the office because they realize that, you know, the thing that they had in grade school and high school was fantastic, the snow day. It was a fantastic concept. Oh my God, it's force majeure, it's natural disaster or something along those lines that everybody is stuck, nobody is moving, that's where you are. You lose that after you're out of school. You got to show up to work, whether it's rain, sleet, snow, or shine, and you lose that. So there's a psychological shift. Now, people have largely in the major American cities, in historic major American cities, northern cities, office occupancy is very, very low, extremely low, and is not likely in this generation to go back up. I think in future generations it's going to go back up because of the social engagement context of it. But what happens to the assets that have all the debt on it that everybody capitalized assuming they were getting 60, 70, 100, $200 a foot in rent and they're simply not going to get it? What happens to those assets that were built and constructed in zoning locations that only allow commercial? At what point does the opportunity become to turn some of that into housing stock and will that ever happen and why won't it happen these are very interesting questions and you know because we're new york people we look at new york and it's like okay the state has to make the decision if they're going to change anything related to like broad scale zoning and property use doesn't seem like they're going to do that at any time but you are going to see office buildings that are going to turn over you're going to see office buildings that can't pay their mortgages other people are going to get control of it maybe they let it burn maybe they let it reabsorb over the next 10 15 20 years but what about utilizing some of that for housing stock? You can make free market housing stock out of it. You yeah, but a do lot that. of the attraction, though, to then, let's say, move to a market like New York won't be there because why do you need to be in New York if you don't need to be there for your job or something like that? For the look, at how packed, look how packed the city is. I, I, and I, and I'm also <laughs> People want to be here. here. New York has a, not even a, has a nostalgia to it, but it also has like just a way that the city works and the way that the people are in the city. It's different than any other city in the world. 
Do I think that New York has changed a lot? Yes. Do I think that it's losing the appeal through all? I, I think I think it is. I think it's losing its appeal to a lot of people. I think there are a lot of people that are still going to stay. Even if I leave, I'm still going to love New York. But I, I understand from a reasonable and logical perspective why someone would make a decision to leave. And, and that's yet, something that the state and legislation has to think about. 100%. And yet... The metrics this year for real estate in New York City is the most sales volume in the history of recorded real estate. And, and what single the, year? What's the main twenty twenty two? Yeah. What's the main thing populating that that high volume? It's everything. It's every type of asset class. A lot of multifamily, and yet multifamily has the most stringent, restrictive rules on it of anywhere in the nation. Yeah. But there's more than sixty billion dollars in market volume this year in real estate transactions, in, in properties sold, and changing hands. That's the most ever. There's a lot of guys with a lot of money that own a lot of stuff over here. That's <laughs> so, for sure so true. It, it, it's, it's not necessarily talking about value. Changing hands is changing hands. When someone talks, just to let everybody know that when someone talks about, you know, transactional volume, it doesn't mean that people made money. It's just that a sales took place. That's for sure. That sales took place. But sales take place typically when people see that there's money to be made. That's when sales happen. Oh. Not always. Not always. All right. But, sales I, but I agree for the, for the most part, that's the incentive for a commercial piece of real estate to be sold is because they need to exit money somehow. And hopefully, or the objective is that that's for profit, but, but even if it's that. not for profit and somebody is forced to sell the buying party, assuming a transaction gets consummated right. is buying because they say, Hey, I'm getting a fucking great price on this and I can make money because of the price that I'm paying percent of the time. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll give you the 2% of the time. Mark, the 10, 31 exchanges. <laughs> you have a, we were speaking to yesterday. If you have a opportunity fund yep. or, you know, you have all these opportunity zone that, fund, that, those, Man, those the opportunity zone. It is, it is funny how you start to look out these, um, these other real estate companies and they all kind of have the same kind of nomenclature for their different fund mandates. It's like yeah. opportunity core plus, Core. Yeah, everyone tries to find their niche and yeah. why, how they're going to make money different than the traditional buy low, sell high. But I've seen that a lot, you know, different funds like core, core plus. Yeah. And it's become its own way for the audience in that shopping around for that type of investment. It's a way for them to see, you know, apples to apples kind of, you know, like what what's this company's core fund versus this company's core plus fund. Right. And what are those things? Exactly. You have companies, for example, what Hussein was talking about before with programs that do specifically <clears throat> affordable housing. Why? Because, you know, cities or states will offer incentives for people to build affordable housing in a certain area, which allows me to get cheaper financing or financing at a much higher loan to values. So I need less equity out of pocket where I can make money on. And for example, we are in the business of making money. Would we do affordable housing? Yes. Would we do free market? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are objective. All of the above. Is to make money. That's what it is. We know real estate. We want to make money. That's why when I look at, you know, a place that people are like, oh, over here, you know, you can't build all these great. Let right now, if I build it, I'm going to sell it for as much as I can and rent it for as much as I can because it's a free country and it's a democracy. If there's some kind of government that wants me to rent it for less money, give me an incentive. Let me borrow money cheaper. Let me get some kind of a government tax break. Construction. I'm in. Whatever makes sense. But don't tell me I have to spend all this money and compete with these people that are selling for prices that are, you know, an X, and then I could only sell for, you know, half of X. And that's the big problem that, you know, you have all these people that are making these new laws in places like New York that are not real estate people. Yeah. Or at least not for the most part. And or not even business people most of the time. They're just <laughs> politicians. Yeah. 
Or they're only looking at like one specific special interest reason or rationale of looking at, at which at I understand why they're looking at it. People yeah. need homes. So give the incentive, but it doesn't mean you take away the reason for people to build these beautiful buildings that change the entire landscape and made it the reason that people from all over the world wanted want to, to come here, here in the first place. place. Yeah. Nobody wants to come over here to go, you know, hang out in the courtyard of a section eight housing. <laughs> that just, that's not what they want to do. Fair point. Yeah, it's very true. Fair point. <laughs> plus strong words. Plus section eight man. housing does kind of span <laughs> the country. <laughs> and now we have the video. to prove it. <laughs> Yeah. No, but it's absolutely true though. You can't disincentivize you can't disincentivize the free market, I think is the point. The free market does have to work for all sides of it, otherwise it wouldn't be a no. truly free market. The reason why I should say yes to this. Yeah. All right, don't just say no, you can't uh rent this for this amount of money. Okay. Give me incentive for renting it for less. Yeah. You know, everything tax break is, subsidy, something. It. Cheaper money, better borrowing power. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, it's all cyclical. And eventually, it does come back around, and those programs do get put back in place, but it takes a really long time. It takes a really long time. Once the sun sets on some of the better programs that catalyze and stimulate growth, and then everybody feels like they have their fill, it takes a, really, it takes a generation for it's it to come back around. how the red tape on bureaucracy takes so long yeah. in real estate. It's like people don't realize sometimes you'll put a plan together for a building to build, and it'll take two years to finish getting <laughs> approvals for the building, sometimes longer. Two years is a long time. It's a time. lot of time to carry something. That is a long time. Just You're still paying a mortgage. You're still you paying a tax go, bill. Go build it for another two years. That means I'm starting a project now. I'm not even going to see it finish for four or five years. Yeah. That's the development, of those, baby. That's a lifetime. Yeah, it's already a lifetime. Absolutely. That's why speed is key. Integral. <laughs> we got to move. We got to move fast, boys. That's why you always hear who's saying on the phone, be like, are you on the site now? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not that's there true. in 20 minutes, I'm not paying you. <laughs> I always usually pay. If they're there in 20 minutes. If they're there in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know? there, there's a... Well, people have to feel that same burn. Like, there's the same the same adage that is a total cliche of time is money. Listen, when you're paying a mortgage, time is money. That is yeah. correct. Time is my money. My interest is coming out of my account. No matter what. You better go to work. Whether or not you're building, whether or not you're moving, whether or not you're leasing, you're paying the bank. And, you know, someone can say to you, well, you're you're choosing to do that. Yeah, you're choosing to do that. But the mechanism is supposed to work in symphony. All the pieces are supposed to move it's at the really same hard. time. So that way you're going and taking, like when we're building our building in a, in in Hollywood Beach, we're building a condominium building that we started a while ago, that there are so many different vendors and subcontractors that are making agreements with us that we have to go and do oversight on. And we have to make sure that every single person does exactly what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it, which they won't. And then <laughs> <laughs> we have to get... Make make sure that they stay according to the timeline because you know what? Every month we owe interest to the bank. And obviously because we've done this before, we already hedged that we're going to have a certain amount of discussion. Some certain delays. These guys. But um, yeah, it's it's a pain in the ass. It's exciting though. It is exciting. Yeah. There's, nothing, there's nothing quite like the mobilization of a large-scale project. There really isn't. The minute you start seeing machine, manpower, materiel migrating to a site, you realize that. And, you know, that's always the thing, like, that I don't think people understand. Like, you walk past a construction site, you see a big project going on in any city, or, you know, any project, really. You see a house going up. But you see that happening, and people do not recognize what it takes to actually muster all of that. The amount of wrangling and negotiation and discussion 
and validation and cross-validation and cross-collaboration, everything that has to go into just moving people to the site and getting people there to get started. That is unbelievable. Well, you see a concrete truck pouring concrete, you're like, oh, that's a concrete truck. What that are took you, to get there. Are you giving any thought to the fact that that concrete truck, one concrete truck, is going to run you about $3,500? you giving any thought to the fact that the pump that is pumping that concrete truck just for the hour is billing you about $1,300? Giving any thought to the insurance that just Absolutely for the day not. is about no $900? And then no when you one. look at what the sum total of the parts is in one day, it's like, oh, shit, I just drove past... $30,000 worth of work happening in front of my eyes and have no comprehension of the fact that that's what the fuck is actually happening. Yeah. And then you start scaling that and looking at bigger and bigger projects. The numbers well, are mind-boggling. Well, well, I was just thinking these of the, are the wheels of economy. Yeah, this we, is we, why. We were talking about the, the crane operators before. What do they make in an hour? Crane, fucking crane operators. Depends on which New York I, I crane. You were talking about in the, the concrete podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... It was, it was like $175 Something like hour. 175 200 an hour. But an that's hour. also like a mid-rise crane operator. The yeah. guys that were running the crane at the top of the World Trade Center, for example, they were making a million dollars a year. No, no the, cra the crazy, million pro dollars the a crazy year. project is the one that we that's walk past job. all the time, the, the new Chase Bank headquarters. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we watched that... The new J.P. Morgan headquarters. Yeah, we watched that whole thing come down, and we marveled at just, just in demolishing and pulling down... The original so, structure. So that structure, that's truly extraordinary. So this is on Park Avenue. How many years did that take? That, just that demolition alone? Just the demolition alone. That was a 45-story building, okay? That building was more than a million square feet. J.P. Morgan put $500 million of renovation into the building five years before they decided to demolish it. They spent half a billion dollars renovating it, and then they're like, you know what? This isn't good enough. Now, taking it down, that's the largest, that is the largest demolition of a single asset in history, okay? $450 million, they budgeted like $230 million. It's cost like $450 million to demolish the building. And the new building is cost $3 billion to build. But Daniel's right. We saw the whole thing come down piece by piece until it went below grade. And then you see the cranes start and you see the steel going. The steel now work. the new building is up at like maybe 30 stories. It's truly unbelievable. And the when welders do, living in little baskets. In little baskets. They're living there like camping. Yeah. But you look at it and you realize like, fuck, that building is going to be 1,300 feet tall. They're at like the 30th or 40th story now in the building. To get the 45-story building down up to 30 stories of an eventual 1,300-foot tall building, they're into it for a billion dollars already. Yeah. And this shit is like just a pile of steel. But that's what happens when your daddy is, Jamie, is, uh, is Jamie Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Diamond is Luckily daddy. For them, make it happen. Bankers and not real estate developers. <laughs> they're real estate developers. They be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, we're not they'd doing this. Fucked. Here's the keys. Something tells me they're going to be able to refinance. Probably. I think they'll be able to refinance. <laughs> I think that if they have a capital call, they're going to be able to find the money. Yeah. It'll be okay. Like the yeah. right pocket talking to the left pocket, be like, it'll be okay. No, but that's also <laughs> extraordinary too because you see that some of these some of these assets that have been built, they're all like. You know, and I, I don't want to speculate. I don't know what's going on in Mr. Diamond's head, but like... And users you know, underwrate things differently because they're not just looking at the value of the real estate. They're using it. Yeah. They're generating money. The revenue it's that they're generating out of it. Yeah, it's a write-off. Write what are they writing off? I don't know, but expense. they're writing it off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's amazing because if you look at some of those stories, these are bankers that build like some of these iconic, truly iconic pieces of the landscape. So the Citibank Tower with the triangle top on Lexington Avenue, that was the pet project of the CEO of Citibank at the time in the late seventies, <coughs> his name was like, his name was Walter or something. I forget, but like that building also has an extraordinary story to it, but these mega lifts of engineering and material and design and architecture and all that, 
you know, they can only really get built if you're fully, fully, fully like, you know, financing it out of the company kitty. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you're not really building it. Spec office is a very challenging uh, investment segment. Very few are able to really pull it off successfully. Very, very few. You can look on some of our. Well, uh, you don't have to worry about leasing because nope, you're using. Because you're using it. You know, it's a headquarters your balance sheet has no problem undertaking that expense. Yep, no that problem. Works. Great. Good for them. Fantastic. Yeah. Great for them. Mr. Morgan would be very proud. It's a write off. Yeah. It's a write off. <laughs> it's, it's all write off. Write it all off. Don't worry. <laughs> It'll be a billion dollars in taxes they don't pay. Yeah. Yeah. Going to Miami next week. It's a write off. It's a write off. Shit, man. I mean, what do you guys think about some of the chatter about changing the tax codes? Which chatter are we referring to? Are we referring to the AOC chatter or the no. Marjorie Taylor Greene chatter? Was there the one where they were going <laughs> to just make a uh, get rid of income tax and do just a flat consumption tax? Yeah, that's not going to work. And also, they were talking about just abolishing the IRS completely, which, you know, as wonderful. They, they just hired, what was it, 87,000 uh, 87, new enforcement uh, agents. Yeah. Yeah. Put them out that's your job. tax. That's your tax dollars at work. I heard Steve. from somewhere that that's not actually happening. Oh, that is definitely happening. Yeah. Until you know, next changing of the guard, where it won't happen, where it will unhappen. They probably need some office space. They might need some office space. I doubt that the GSA is going to spend that kind of money though. They'll put them in bunkers. Yeah. Cube. Cubes that must be a very difficult career to have, just from a social standpoint. Like, hey, what do you do? I'm a IRS agent. All right. You didn't uh, did nice, you watch uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once. I'm for sure. I picked oh, on no. a lot in high school. <laughs> they hate human beings. <laughs> <laughs> they love numbers. <laughs> they hate human beings. <laughs> no, I imagine it's probably like one of those like uh, Marvel projects. You know, like when these actors like film the whole movie and they actually don't know what movie it's for. They probably tell them like you have some other job. Because I mean, who will like? Knowingly take that position. You think so? They're like, yeah, you're doing something. Well, the truth else. is, if you think about it. it, there's a lot of there's a lot of accountants <laughs> like, out okay. there that are probably working I work for, for the some government. Small right, exactly. firm. Yeah. They're gonna go in there. They're gonna get a job at the IRS. They're gonna have a pension, a solid you know career. They're gonna be able to retire. They have full benefits. So listen, for certain people, it makes sense from an occupational standpoint. Yeah, certainly takes there, all kinds. There are people out there that love finite structure and repetitive. You know, predictable daily living, and there's a lot of people that find that in those types of organizations. More power that's to them. Fun More power to them. That's not us. <laughs> Probably not. That's us. exactly what we are out <laughs> here trying to, to, to be. To a certain extent, we are. I consider yeah. myself a pretty calculated motherfucker. But, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to those, you know, they're certainly like. I'll be there at eight thirty every day. I sit there and I work for four and a half hours, and then I have lunch for twenty seven minutes, and then I, you know, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got Mark written all over it. <laughs> It's kind of like the Mark likes. I mean, (laughs) you know, time blocking is great. Being disciplined with how you allocate your time. That everyone needs to do that for productivity. But the way that those guys do it, you know, down to the minute. I mean, there is discipline involved. There's no question. It's it's great. Well, this just comes from you know, obviously, not everybody has that entrepreneurial spirit. But sitting there and just putting all that time in every single day for for what to what what's the objective? Is the objective to go do it again tomorrow? Is it to get a promotion to get another? Eight, Most of the time, it's the, pr- it's the promotion. Whether it's a real opportunity to get promoted and rise through the ranks or not, most people are motivated by that because they want that extra 50 cents, you know, an hour. And I always, when I worked in that kind of a, a, an environment, and they'd be like, yeah, you know, in three months or six months, you might get a, a 50 cents raise. I'm like, okay. Like, I can go find two quarters right now on the floor. Like, <laughs> what, what is that, that going to do, really, you know? Um, and they dangle it in front of you, and that—that's you know, 
I, I've always been more of a fan of figure out how to That's the system. You know, make Listen, it yourself. And there's definitely and different styles. People are afraid to, uh, you know, uh, leave it up to their own decision. Yeah, I that's guess, for sure. Well, and, uh, and, that, uh, and a lot of people really require, they really actually, they don't require it. Well, they do require it, but they also um, secretly need the, uh, the structure of someone who's managing them saying, okay, today for you to clock in and, and be able to clock out sas- on, under satisfaction performance, you just need to get these X, Y, Z things done. Once you get those things done, you're done. It'll probably take you till 4.30. You'll, you'll leave. You check out. They can go. They can forget about everything that they just did, and then they show up the next day and do it again. The way we work, it's like it's just never off. It's nope, never listen, off. It's never not, not it's working. Not, it's not a right it's or wrong thing. Off. There are certain people, listen, to, to be successful as an entrepreneur, obviously you have to know what you're talking about, whatever field it is that you're doing. You're going to have to... <clears throat> You're going to have to be obviously extremely motivated. You're going to have to work very hard. You're going to have to be fearless in certain st- certain situations. But most importantly, you can't be riddled with anxiety. So people that yeah. have a lot of anxiety and that are scared to do certain things, it could be some of the smartest people you'll, you'll ever speak to. I have friends of mine who are absolutely brilliant, doctor, medical doctors, this and that. When it come, they could never run their own business because they couldn't deal with with that type of financial burden or anxiety put on top of them, they could probably go do open heart surgery because that's what they were trained to do by the institution that trained them. Specialists. When it comes to this, yeah. yeah, they, it's just it's just not for everybody. And hence, how else are certain people that do like that structure able to go and can keep moving themselves forward in their own way? It's actually through investing their own money and through their savings. Yep, just circling back that that's what we're here for. Exactly. Exactly, and it's interesting how <clears throat> it's a uh, <clears throat> it's it's a very symbiotic relationship between the two two or I'm sure there's many sub variations, but if you're talking about the two main types of different people, entrepreneurial minded versus more structural, um, uh, you know, want the predictable, uh, very specialist kind of work style, uh, you know, all these big companies that are made. They're kind of made at first by the entrepreneurial spirit, but at some point what really makes them scale, what really makes them really become market dominant are the are populating their their uh, you know cubicles and their offices and their office spaces across their footprint with people who need that structure and need that corporate style of, of work ethic. And then that's how those companies can really have a strong foundation of of expanding and growing. So it's 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 one of those things where they feed each other, and you can't have one without the other, I think, w- when you're talking about scale. So, well, I'm glad we had this conversation, guys. I'm glad uh, Good stuff. I'm glad you literally came in here and just sat down as I was plugging in the mics. By the way, I'm actually also really glad that we did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, like, sweating just getting all the stuff together. All right, listen, um, so I guess next time we circle back, we'll be in South Florida. Yeah, uh, we should try to do something. We'll... Maybe we can do some kind of recording um, in Florida while we're there. Um, but if not, we'll at least come back and we'll, we'll do another content. one. Yeah, we'll do another one. Well, yeah, we'll do a lot of on-scene, uh, in-scene shooting. And, um, you know, we should do some po- – we'll probably do some yeah, – um, Instagram. Yeah, just some Instagram stuff. That'll be good. And, uh, yeah, so thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Hussein, any parting words? I got nothing. I find that hard to believe. That's impossible. I find that very hard to believe. We broke him. I got nothing, guys. I mean, he did did have a lot of gems today. What about you, Mark? If Hussein's got nothing, I have absolutely nothing. All right. All right. Well, 
Thank you, guys. Till next time. To be continued. Thank you, Daniel, for setting up a great podcast booth. We look forward to many more. Work in progress. All right. right. Join in the next time. Thank you. One, two, three, break.